Welcome to episode 359 of the Thunder Underground podcast. Trent here as always. This week, very cool episode. Kenneth Bryan is going to join me here in a bit. Kenneth Bryan is the main man of the Kenneth Bryan band. Some great, great music from this band and this man. What I love about it is that you can't put him in one box. You can't say, oh, this guy's Southern Rock. This guy's Americana. This guy's country. This guy's blues. This guy's rock and roll. This guy is all of those things. And that's what makes it great. So we're going to talk to Kenneth about all that coming up here in just a bit. But first, I'm going to talk really quick about a recent show I saw. And tell you who our sponsors are. But let me get into those sponsors right now. That would be Med Pharma Dispensary located in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. 24683 East Highway 51, right off the highway. Very cool thing about them is they've got a drive through and I know a lot of dispensaries around here don't have that option. So if you call or text ahead, you can come right through that drive through pick up your stuff, and be on your way. You can also hit up leafly.com to see their entire selection. Go in and check it out. Great staff, very knowledgeable, great people there. If you go in there and you mention you heard about them on Thunder Underground, they'll give you 10% off your first order, which is very cool. If you follow them on our socials, MedFarm, P-H-A-R-M, on Facebook, MedFarm OK on Instagram. They're always running great specials, so you don't want to miss any of that. Something else that is always ongoing, 30% of their proceeds at all times go to build no-kill animal shelters. Cannabis with a cause is what they say, and that's an amazing thing. Most businesses anywhere don't donate nearly a third of their profits to anything, so for them to do this, and to help out a worthy cause such as, you know, these animals that have been displaced, put them in a no-kill animal shelter. That's what we need more of this world. So check out Med Farm. Tell them you heard about them on Thunder Underground. Sunset Tattoo is a tattoo shop located in Midtown Tulsa. Their tattoos are done good and proper. They're state licensed, and they are mother approved. 25 plus years of experience. Check out the socials, Sunset Tattoo, on both Facebook and Instagram. Tons of photos there where you can check out all the work. Jake does amazing work. 25 plus years of experience. All different styles. Walk-ins are welcome. But if you call or text him or message or whatever you need to do, figure out a time to go in there and talk to him about work you're looking to have done. I've had work done by him. I'm going to have more work done here in the future. And I know many other people that have as well. And everybody's always pleased with their work from Sunset Tattoo. So hit them up and tell them you heard about them right here. Finally, we've got DEB Concerts. Concert promoter based right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. They brought tons of great shows to this area. I'm talking out throughout the years, Saxon. They brought Saxon to a club in downtown Tulsa. I mean, if that's all they ever did, I would say this is an amazing promoter. But they've done way, way more than that. Last in Line, L.A. Guns, Lita Ford, Warrant, Bisto Blanco, all these bands and clubs. Then they stepped into the arena game. They brought in Snoop Dogg and Nelly. Then this year, they brought back Snoop Dogg but with Ice Cube for two, two sold-out nights in a row at the BOK Center Arena. They also brought in the Metal Tour of the Year, Megadeth and Lamb of God, earlier this year. Just a couple months ago, they brought in Poison with Tom Kiefer of Cinderella and L.A. Guns at the BOK Center as well. You can have more stuff coming up. So get on. 
Follow him on the socials, DEB Concerts, on Facebook and Twitter. The website is debconcerts.com. Follow him there so you don't miss any future updates. And of course, I'll bring you future updates here as well. All right. One of the things that DEB Concerts does is they always book the Roadhouse stage at Rocklahoma. Rocklahoma has been going on for 15 years now. Well, longer than that, we count the pandemic, but 15 Rocklahomas have happened since they brought it out in 2007. In the past two years, 2021 and 2022, they had another festival two weeks after Rocklahoma. This one was called Born and Raised. And this is a country-centric festival. But rather than a typical country festival, as they've kind of catered to the you know, not your pop country mainstream kind of stuff, more of the, whether you want to call it Americana or Red Dirt or Southern rock-tinged bands. Both years, one of the headliners has been a rock band, but it's been your rock band that could float into that area. ZZ Top was there last year. This year, Leonard Skinner was there. Cody Jenks has headlined. Zach Bryan, great Oklahoma artist who is, you know, rising the ranks in the country music world pretty quick, so check him out. But, I mean, it, it floats that line between rock and country, like Blackberry Smokewood, or any, you know, any of those bands like that. But there's also very traditional country artists. Tanya Tucker was there. It's a, you know, it's a great mix of stuff, so I love what they're doing. And I bring that up because Leonard Skinner was the headliner on the final night this year, and I was able to make it out there and check that out. I worked part of the festival but I got to see Leonard Skinner in their entirety. And I have not seen Leonard Skinner live in their entirety since the 90s. I worked a show in 2019 in Tennessee called Exit 111. This is on the same site that Bonnaroo is always at. Unfortunately, this was a one-off, one-year festival. And I say unfortunately because, as far as I am concerned, it was the greatest lineup for a rock festival in America in as long as I can, in a long, long fucking time. I'm talking like it was like those European festivals where you get a great mix of genres. The rock festivals in America, you know, will have different genres of hard rock and metal, but they don't stray too far out of the box. But XO 111, you know, had everything. Like like I said, Leonard Skinner, Guns N' Roses, Def Leppard, Cheap Trick, ZZ Top, but then they had Ministry and Slayer and Mastodon and Lamb of God. There's tons of stuff I'm not even remembering right now, but the point is, I saw part of Leonard Skinner at that I was working, so it was kind of in and out, but I got to see a good chunk of it. But seeing, just watching a Leonard Skinner show as a fan, I got to see him in the 90s when it was a co-headline tour with Hank Williams Jr. So this is the first time I set, got to stand there and see the full show here just a couple weeks ago. And this, as you would expect from any band that has been putting out music for, I mean, in Skinner's case, 50, 50 years now. And yes, I know the people who put out that music 50 years ago aren't involved, but this band's a world machine in the fact that, you know, you've got members, of course, Johnny Van Zant, that has been part of this for over 40 years. Ricky Medlock was in the band in the 70s. 
and now he's been back since the mid-90s. The drummer, Michael Cardelloni, has been in the band, I think, since the late 90s, maybe early 2000s. I should have looked that date up. The point is to tell you, I mean, this band's a cohesive unit, and any band, you know, that has been around, legendary band like this, you know you're not going to get a subpar show. They went out there, and they kicked ass for an hour and a half, whatever it was. I didn't keep track. But they hit, as you would expect, you know, it's a greatest hit set. You know, it had a couple couple deeper cuts in there, but for the most part, it's all the songs you expected. I I think um, if I was making a set list, I would have had Don't Ask Me No Questions, The Ballad of Curtis Lowe in there. A couple of my favorites, but, you know, The Needle and the Spoon was in there. Give Me Three Steps. Tuesday's Gone. Simple Man. I mean, you can't. You can't cry about a set list when songs are missing, whenever 90% of it are hits that even a casual person that wasn't even thinking they knew the songs know. So, I mean, you can't, you can't complain about that. And it was just awesome to see these guys, you know, the musicianships at a, at a high level, the production, the light show, the video imagery, everything was perfect. And, you know, you're playing a show at a festival that is dominated by country or country-centric bands. And while a lot of that fan base does dig Southern rock, it's not always the case, but the crowd was there in full force and everybody was singing along. So that was great to see as well. Being a huge fan of Dame Yankees, you know, it was awesome to see Michael Cardelloni back there playing drums. I haven't seen him live since... I would I would guess. I don't think he was there last time I saw Skinner in the 90s. Like, I know he was there a few years ago, but the point is, I haven't seen Dame Yankees since the early 90s. And the newest addition to the Skinner family, Damon Johnson. This is the first time I've seen him with him in the band. He's only been performing live with them about a year ago, I believe is when he started. He filled in some dates for Gary Rossington. And then that has carried over into this year. And I I don't know the status. I mean, I know he, he spoke about it whenever Damon Johnson was last on this podcast. That's another thing to point out. Episode 343, a few months ago, Damon Johnson returned to the podcast for the sixth time. I love saying that. Six times Damon Johnson's been on this podcast. And it was the first time he had been on since... He had played shows with Skinnerd, so, and it was right after they announced the Brother Kenrine, and so he talked a lot about the Skinnerd aspect and how he became involved and everything. He gave, you know, he talked a bit about Gary and about how Ricky Medlock was the one that brought him in. So that's a very cool episode to check out if you're a Skinnerd fan or Damon Johnson fan or just a fan of rock and roll. So to see Damon Johnson, you know, rocking these songs out in a live fashion, was excellent for me as a big fan of Damon Johnson, plus being a big fan of Skinner, you know, you can't go wrong when you combine those things. I got to check it out. I watched part of the show from, you know, the front of the stage in the in the pit down there, and then I watched the second half of the show from the viewing deck on the side of the stage, so it was kind of a cool aspect to be able to see him from almost kind of back of house 
view. I think I put up a video. Maybe I have not put that up yet. I need to. I recorded a couple videos and I was going to put one up on the Thunder Underground Instagram. So, you know, if you don't follow Instagram at the Thunder Underground, I usually post video reels on there. I know recently I had one of Josie Scott when he joined, rejoined Saliva for the first time in over 10 years at Blue Ridge Rock Fest. I put up a video of Green Day at, um, why am I drawing a blank on the name? Outside Lands in San Francisco about a month and a half ago. I feel like there was another video out there, but the point is, look for that Skinner video soon. But yes, Leonard Skinner live, they're out doing dates. They, you know, this was September 20th, I believe, 19th, 20th, something like that. You know, so it was just a couple weeks ago, and since then they've played tons of shows. They're on tour right now, so check out Skinner if you get the chance. You will not be disappointed, I promise you that. Alright, so let's just jump into this Kenneth Bryan talk. This interview with Kenneth Bryan is over about an hour long, so we should jump into it pretty quickly, right? So you'd rather hear from him than hear me ramble. But speaking of born and raised, Kenneth Bryan would be an excellent addition to that festival in 2023. So hopefully that happens. I would personally love it because I would like to see this guy live. I know he's played in the area, but I have not had the opportunity to check him out before. But Kenneth Bryan has a few albums. He's been around for quite a while. His most recent album came out, I believe it was early, maybe February. Let me pull this up right here. Hopefully I don't have to hit pause and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, February, end of February of this year, Keys to the Kingdom came out. And like I said in the opening here, it's just a great mix of styles. A bit of Southern rock, a bit of country, a bit of American Americana, a bit of bluesiness, a bit of rock and roll. You know, the opening track, the title track, Keys to the Kingdom is excellent. Falling Again, Crazy. California might be my favorite track on the album. So check all those out. Check the album out. It's just a great album to chill out to. Beautiful music coming from Kenneth Bryan. I absolutely enjoyed this interview with Kenneth. This was recorded towards the end of August, so a little over a month ago now. When you're hearing this, it'll be the beginning of October here. You know, full disclosure, I am out of town this week working a show in California, but I'm recording this this past weekend, October 1st. So, regardless, the point is to let you know Recorded this a while back, but of course, with all the stuff going on, being out of town to work shows, you know, I missed a couple weeks. Last week, I got my Russell Allen interview out. Check that one out. Russell Allen of Symphony X, Adrenaline Mob, you know, all that great stuff. That was a fun one. And this one is the same way. Over an hour here with Kenneth Bryan talking about everything. So let's just jump into it. Here's Kenneth Bryan of the Kenneth Bryan Band.
that's crazy. I just was looking at that. It looks like they got 10 inches of rain in a few hours or something. It's six hours. And, that's crazy. I was looking at downtown Dallas, people swimming from their cars, man. Damn. Crazy. I, I did not see that. <laughs> I saw, well, I saw a picture of Globe Life Field that was like, yeah. I guess it was flooded out. And that Motley Crue Def Leppard concerts tonight, I think. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, I was going to be some unhappy rock and rollers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, man. Anyway, are you? Uh, where do you live at? Man, I, I'm from North Florida, from Gainesville. Uh, you know, like just the top top of Florida. I lived in uh, last six years. I was living in outside of Los Angeles. I was in like West Hollywood and then uh, Malibu, and uh, like we got a crazy weather out there too. Man, I ended up uh, losing our house in a uh, one of those fires out there. Oh, shit. And, uh, yeah, crazy. One of those crazy wildfires, man, that's going out out there, you know, all the time. And, um, so I ended up, yeah, I was there for a few more years when, uh, COVID hit. I ended up going back to Alabama where I worked in the studio and then back down home. But, man, I listened. I mean, I've lived in, uh, Nashville, Austin, and, and LA pretty much, you know, everywhere you can live and play a guitar pretty much, right. you know. Yeah. But I grew up, yeah, I grew up in uh in north florida man in like gainesville uh just north of gainesville area okay i love austin i'm um, not a fan of the you... university of texas but i love this the city <laughs> oh, yeah man i bet not Where, what you're in oklahoma what part of oklahoma you near tulsa yeah man <laughs> I, that's a cool area up there we got to play canes a couple times oh yeah and uh man that's just that's a cool room but yeah, man, Austin's Austin's a cool place. I lived there for man, I don't know, on and off for uh, five or six years, man. It's uh, it's cool. It's like everything else, man. It's changed a whole lot. Like that. last time I came through, we we did a show, and that man could barely recognize like where we were at. So, um, <clears throat> I mean, you know, it's uh, it's definitely it's uh, changed a whole lot in the last uh, you know five or six years with just really growing and yeah kind of changing the character that you know used to be a full-on music live music town and and it seems like it's uh i mean everything's heading in that direction i guess unfortunately but it's a cool place to live for a while man a lot of great clubs great musicians there yeah yeah i went down there a few different times for south by southwest and that you know but it's been over 10 years since i did that and that experience was just really cool just everywhere you went you know, it didn't matter what genre of music was. It, something was coming out of some building, you know. Man, it's crazy that South by. So I'm I'm 41. So man, I did some of the first South by Southwest down there when it was like six clubs. It was like the Continental Club and wow. a little place called Egos. It was under like a parking garage and and it was like a nothing. You know, it was like just barely anything, sort of just Americana, country rock kind of stuff. And, and uh, not a whole lot of people. And then a few years later, it was a little bigger. And then I think the last time I did it was 2015. It was huge. And then, I mean, and, and from then into now, it's like it's like a full-on, the whole town is a festival. It's yeah. crazy how quick that thing, you know, how fast it, it turned into what it is. And, and all different, you know, genres of music and, you know, everything. It's pretty pretty crazy, man. Austin's a, Austin's a neat place, you know. It's uh uh it's got it's kind of like Gainesville's kind of the same way man college town you know Gainesville's where UF is so you have like 
the old South thing, but you also got the college thing. So you got a bunch of different kind of people and, you know, it's, it's like Austin. There'd be a, you know, a country band somewhere and a death metal band and a reggae band. <laughs> <It's another laughs> club, you know? So, mm. so is it actually, is it a good local scene? Oh, in Gainesville, man, yeah. when I was growing up, yes, man. Uh, you know, we got nine rock and roll, roll uh, nine rock and roll hall of fame members from this one little town. I mean, uh, Tom Petty, most of his guys are from here, and uh, a couple guys in the Eagles, Bernie Layden and um, Don Felder, and uh, then Bo Diddley, and uh, just all kinds of, you know, folks here played, and, you know, like, outside of town, it was all the, you know, my folks were, they used to go to, like, the bluegrass sort of gospel barn things, and, and so I had that influence growing up with bluegrass and country, and then in town, there was, like, a you know, a, a big rock scene and a punk rock scene and, a, you know, just sort of the whole college thing going on. And uh, so there was, man, you, you got exposed to a lot of different stuff and there was a bunch of little clubs and they would go pretty much, you know, I mean, all night long, man. It, it seems different now coming back and seeing there's only like really one or two places that you could really, as a touring band, you know, somebody like me that's sort of in the middle, um, come and, and, and be at like back before, you know, when I was growing up, there were four or five places and they just went, you know, we would start playing at midnight and, you know, bands would go to three or four in the morning and, uh, and it was pretty awesome, man. So it just, it was a good place to learn how to play guitar and learn a lot of, uh, different, you have a lot of different influences, you know, it was just a cool, good, good place for that, man. Kind of like, austin is in a mini sort of kind of way and you know it just uh it has its own sort of vibe to it you know yeah i feel like the tulsa's kind of shifted that way in a very small scale i mean with like leon russell's church studio and oh yeah the you know they got the woody guthrie center now now the bob dylan museum all that stuff's kind of you know happened here in just the last five years so it's wow man i didn't yeah. know they did a so i mean i know you know woody guthrie's from out there i remember one time we were on the road and we we were in uh whatever little town he was from i can't remember which one it is and and uh we went we were talking i was like oh wow man that's where woody guthrie's from and was talking to somebody and they were like who they <laughs> know what we're talking about man <laughs> wow. you know but uh uh we took pictures there and stuff but i didn't know they did a yeah tulsa's cool man i didn't know they did a, a bob dylan museum yeah, I didn't. I was kind of curious as to why it was here, and I asked. Yeah, because I know he's from like Minnesota, and uh, and uh, I wonder what the. I guess because of maybe because of the Woody Guthrie connection or something like that. Or yeah, that's what I asked someone that would have known, and they said that that's what they thought it was. It was just it had to do with the Woody Guthrie thing. Oh, that's neat. Um, my I got two buddies that play with him, and uh, and my friend Donnie Heron that used to be in BR five four nine, and then Charlie Sexton, uh, Austin guy. And I've, I've like waved at him, Bob Dylan, one time. Hey, how you doing? Type of thing. He just will put his hand up. But I, I don't know that guy, but he's apparently a great guy to work for, man. And just like a, uh, just a real, you know, I mean, a real great sort of, you know, band leader always goes into something different. And, you know, I mean, just kind of like uh, my buddy was describing that whole gig because it's just, gi- you know, you'd think it would be this gigantic rock gig. He's like, man, it's like being in a punk band or something. <laughs> he's like, you know, you never know what's going to happen, and you never know how you're going to get there, where you're going to be, and it's kind of neat, man. So, yeah. But uh, we, 
Tulsa's cool, man. That's a <clears throat> there's a real I don't know. It's just a good good vibe out there from the whole. I mean, you got light crust doughboys, Bob Wills coming out of there back in the day, which was like the first, you know, desegregated groove of, yeah. of our whole. You know, I mean, you know, I'm in the southeast, you're in the, you know, it, it, above Texas area. So we, you know, it was a, sort of that whole mixing of things and people kind of accepting it and going out and, and getting down with it, and it all kind of happened right there, really. Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's like when you listen to those old Bob Wills records and. uh you know, uh, they always throw Oklahoma, you know, they had to do the Texas thing. They, you know, from down Texas way and Oklahoma. Because <laughs> <laughs> right. they're all from Oklahoma pretty much, man. So, um, but that was, that's a neat place, man. And Canes and that whole scene. And then, like you said, Leon Russell, I mean, you know, so Tom Petty's from here in Gainesville. And I, I mean, the first person that ever paid any attention to him was Leon Russell and Shelter Records and all that. And I know the first recordings that, Tom's first band Mud Crutch ever did was was out there at his place, and uh, you know it's kind of neat, man. It's just Leon Russell is an amazing musician, man. First, especially those first like four or five albums that he did. Wow, you know. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. It's an interesting area out there. Everyone has got the flavor of different, you know, ingredients, and man, you you got the whole you got the the cowboy thing you got the red dirt thing and you got like the, you know, the Indian mix going in there and you got, then you end up in some Western swing and you end up with somebody like Leon Russell, which is pretty cool. You know, that wouldn't, I don't think that would happen anywhere else. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. You know, cause you don't have the, you got the old South thing, but you got the serious, you know, native, I mean, you know, so many American Indians in, in Oklahoma, you can't help be influenced by all that. I think, you know, they made them all walk from here out there. So, right <laughs> um but uh you know it's like going to south dakota and, and playing sturges and stuff like that there's a huge native population there but it's like not mixing with you know uh the music and the culture too much you know right so so but you know where you're at it's just kind of you know can't help it man so that's kind of cool but uh i've always enjoyed playing there i canes i you know i really really like playing there man that was played there twice and one of the times was opening up for lucinda williams and uh oh wow just uh just a real neat i don't know man just the people that go there they're there to they're there to see music and they're not there to you know mess around it's that's a it's a good ghost in that place is what i'm saying pretty much yeah yeah it's always been no matter where i've went other states other venues it's always been my favorite venue to see a show at and there's, it's funny, there's like, because I've played hundreds of places and there's a few places around the country. There's like the Beacon in New York City and then there's, you know, there's the Asbury Park Stone Pony place. There's, you know, um, all these, there's these different joints around the, sort of around the country that, uh, I don't know, just been there forever. Continental Club in Austin, um, you know, uh, I've drawn blanks on everything else, but they have a similar feel to like you can just tell they've been there for a long time and a lot of people have performed there and and it's uh you know it's just kind of a it's kind of comfortable if you're a, if you're the one on stage playing it makes you you know it just makes it kind of easy so i think you get like the Fillmore in san francisco man it's so it's similar canes is similar to that like you feel like you get on stage and 
and there's been so many of uh, not just your heroes, but just everybody. I mean, vaudeville acts and everything, you know, on up to whatever. So it's just it's sort of a more comfortable thing for the musicians, I think, and it leads to a better show, you know. Yeah. So so like with if you're at a festival and it's some gigantic thing and you're, you know, ten you're thirty feet away from the bass player and all that stuff, <laughs> it's kind of you know you kind of Metallica thing, you kind of lose the vibe a little bit. So yeah, the medium size venues like that you know are really cool man it's yeah. sort of my favorite favorite style thing to do so so when you've done shows like that like you just mentioned on a bigger stage is it does it take you a few minutes to kind of get in the groove of it it depends on you know what the situation is but i mean you get just like anything else any other you know job you would have i guess you just get used to you know doing it and i think as long as you have <clears throat> good people that make everything kind of sound, you know, up front, like you need it to sound and, and, uh, that, you know, that it, you, you can, you can get to that place, but it's not like an, in, yeah, when you're on a big stage or something at a festival and, a, you know, there's, there's just a lot more to contend with, I think, like the energy wise and stuff like that. And, and, uh, and I, yeah, it definitely takes, it takes a minute where somewhere like Kane's man, you get on stage and it's like you just like you say you just feel good you know yeah it's just like a i mean at least i do anyway i can't speak for anyone else but um i just man it's like you know it's just it's neat looking down at a floor you know that uh you know i was on the, i got to play at the ryman in nashville uh where they did the grand old opry for years and years and one uh back in 2000 and geez 16 or 17 it's uh it was this thing for the Rufus Wainwright had and it was like Jamie Johnson and uh wow. I was playing with uh, Venus in the Moon and uh there was Chris Stills was there, Amy Lou Harris, all these great people, uh Allison Krauss. And you know, you're looking down, they kept a little piece of the floor there that was original that everybody stood on, Johnny Cash and you know, Hank Williams and Elvis and all these people and you know, you're standing on that piece of wood and you're like, Okay. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know nice. So it just it just feels uh, not in a big shot kind of way, man. Just in a, like a ah, it just feels good to be you know to be on that floor where all those people were, man, doing what you do. So I think it definitely playing those you know those kind of places are, are where it's at anyway. I I enjoy them but more. Earlier you mentioned you know recording in Alabama. Do you have you recorded all your albums there? No, I uh, man, when I I moved to Nashville when I was twenty from from here and I recorded a couple albums there did a lot of sessions and stuff there for uh man there's you know studios are everywhere there everybody has a studio in their house or where there's a really cool scene for that after that I was in Austin I recorded a record there um my the Kenneth Bryan band records Welcome to Alabama was done in in uh in Alabama at Johnny Sandlin's uh duct tape studios and Johnny Sandlin was a was a producer for the Almond Brothers and uh he was in a band with Dwayne and Greg called Hourglass when they were young. And, and, uh, he went on to produce like Ramblin' Man and all those great, you know, records they did in the seventies. And okay. I did most of my work there, um, with Johnny. And then with Lions, I did, uh, when I was living in LA, I did with a guy named David Bianco, who was uh Rick Rubin's engineer. And he, David produced a lot of Lucinda's Lucinda Williams records. And that one I did there. And then the last one I did out in the desert, in California in Joshua tree at this really cool studio, man. Uh, oh, yeah. that some, 
um, and it's uh, some of the uh, guys from uh, it's uh, Rancho de la Luna. Some of the guys from Eagles of Death Metal and Queens of the Stone Age and all that stuff uh, have the studio out there, and they've had it for a long time, man, since the you know early '90s. My buddy Dave Catching owns and runs it, and uh, he was the guitar player and uh, Queens of Stone Age and and, and uh, I'm sorry, Eagles of Death Metal and a lot of. Uh, other bands and man it's just this cool vibe you go out there in the desert i lived out there for a while too so i'm real familiar with the area and they have this sort of freaks paradise out there where they make just really cool records you know and you just never know what's going to happen out there when we showed up to do that record there was a there was a postcard on the refrigerator from billy gibbons he had just been there wow and for yeah for some kind of like uh photo shoot or something you know him and josh homie and somebody else all went out there to do a photo shoot and it said uh hey ombre you know and had a little drawing of him you know that he did <laughs> and it said you know thanks for the good times at rancho de la luna you know it's just funny <laughs> and so you never know what's going to happen out there but we we went out there piled in and did that whole record in like four days i think recording and then i mixed some there with my um, good friend and engineer Jeremy Stevens from Alabama, from Johnny Samuels. Then we mixed the rest of it back in Alabama when I went back to actually redo that studio. And so I think like uh, you can record anywhere, you know, just like I was saying with clubs. I mean, you know, everybody's got a computer and studio in their house now or whatever, and you can do that. And if you're really great, you know, you can pull that off as long as you don't screw it up too much, putting too many, things on there but it's good to have like i produced this last one but the only reason i can do that is because i worked with johnny salen and dave bianco and my friend hunt sales that played from austin a great drummer that played with iggy pop and all these people you know i learned from those guys so i mean but it's like you go into a a studio and it's like the club like i was saying like you know it either feels good it either feels like wow this is going to be great or it feels like a dentist office you know but nothing wrong with it yeah. but you feel like you, you know you're kind of under stress or something and so i like to record in places that are like that you know that are like oh, okay you know they got you know like when i like when you're around the tom petty guys or something like mike has a studio in his house and uh and then their clubhouse was just when i got to go over there it was like going to somebody's barn in Gainesville, man. There was like gator stuff everywhere, pictures of Bo Diddle, you know, just kind of, you know, I mean, like a dirty old clubhouse. And, yeah. and that's where they recorded all their records. And they could have recorded anywhere, you know, the last four or five records they did, but they chose, they were like, yeah, the vibe feels good in here. So Tom had a Neve console put in there, you know, <laughs> and everything. So, but I don't know. It's nice to be comfortable, you know, like when you're, when you're when you're doing uh, what you're doing, you know, it's good to go to Nashville or something and make a, a record at Blackbird or you know, I've gone into Capitol and done stuff in L.A. and and it's neat and it's you be you know, it's a different vibe for sure. Sometimes it's uh, it's just got to be right for what you're doing, you know. Like with Mike Campbell doing pre-production on Keys to the Kingdom, like how did that all come together, or how'd you end up well, working with him? Man, it's crazy. This is super rock and roll, you know. <laughs> Uh, psychosis story or something. I don't know. Me and my buddy, when we were opening up for Lucinda Williams, which we did for like three years, we did over a hundred shows with her. We were staying at her house in Studio City, like in 
Laurel Canyon in LA. We went to go to get some coffee and in front of us in line was Steve Perry from journey. (laughs) And I'm in the van. He's texting me, man, I think Steve Perry from journey's in front. So that's crazy. So we strike up this conversation with him. He's all, man, what are you guys doing? I'm making a record. We end up hanging out with him. He invites us to this, uh, get together he's having. And then Steve Ferroni's there. Steve, you know, the drummer from Tom Petty and Eric Clapton. And, you know, like he's playing with John Mayer right now. And, uh, you know, just, he's played with all these people, George Harrison, like, wow, this is amazing. You know, we get to be friends with Steve and then, you know, invited him out to a couple shows. And, and when I came back to LA, I had ended up moving to LA and I had this session that, uh, Mark with Mark Ford and, and uh, Antoine the Mark Ford from the Black Crows from this dude Antoine has a studio called the compound in Long Beach and I, my drummer didn't want to come out so I said man who are we going to get and I think well what if we call Steve Ferroni and think oh man I don't know if he's going to do it or not called him up you know and he was like hell yeah let's do it you know I said really yeah so anyway he starts he does this session and then he said man if you ever need anybody on the drums Tom's not touring right now so Steve ended up playing with me for the next like two or three years, man. And, uh, it was awesome. It was just amazing. He introduced me to, you know, Scott Thurston and then Tom, uh, my hero, you know, and, uh, and Ben Mon and then Mike Campbell. And, you know, fast forward a few years later, Tom passes away, unfortunately, leaving a you know gigantic hole yeah. in music and with all of us too, you know, and, um, especially them, my God, you know, it's been, band been together forever and so right after he passed away i had these new songs and i was getting them together and i was telling steve about it and steve called mike and mike said man let's you know let's get together and do these songs so we went over to steve ferroni's uh studio out in the back of his house and we we put this album together the first four or five songs and i never really hung out with mike or anything before i met him but I was like, you know, he's one of the greatest guitar players ever. And I got to, I got to work with him and Steve every day uh, for a good while and, and put these songs together. And then Mike even played bass. Like, you know, we didn't have a bass player, man. So when we laid down the original tracks, Mike was like running the Pro Tools on a computer and playing bass and playing guitar with me. <laughs> and so it was pretty neat, man. I mean, it was really, so he was going to produce the record. And we're heading in that direction. And he got a gig with Fleetwood Mac and had to go uh, and had to go, you know, and went and did that. And uh, and so that took him away from my project, but on to, you know, man, that's really cool. Fleetwood Mac. And then so I took what we had and went and, uh, you know, recorded it um, in the desert. And but a lot of those uh, sort of arrangements and ideas were that I had in my head. And then Mike and Steve helped me. Uh, shaping, which is like, you know, it's amazing. It's just, you know, it would have been great if he would have been able to produce that album too. But man, it's, you know, it was just amazing being able to work with the guy and, you know, him being like, well, why don't we use this here or put this, you know, put that there or whatever. And it's like, I don't know, man. It's a pretty amazing, uh, amazing experience. And Ferroni's like the greatest guy in the world. After my house burned down out there in California, which really, sucked (laughs) lost everything i had except for my guitars and my hands man i mean every you know i didn't have any clothes you know and uh steve was like you know that's when we had to evacuate man we went to steve's house and just because it was you know i was like where where can i go and 
and he ended up letting us stay at his house on and off for the better part of a year. Oh, wow. And, uh, and so it was pretty amazing, man. I mean, he's just a really great guy. Amazing drummer, man. Like I, I've been blessed to be around some really great drummers, uh, hunt sales and, uh, you know, Steve and, uh, Chris Connell that played on the last record and my buddy, Jack Irons, a friend in, in LA. Um, I don't know, man. It, it, Steve's like, he's like, uh, when you're, when you're playing with him, it's like having a big feather bed behind you to land on or something. <laughs> he's just got this big kick drum and he's just, you know, you don't have to worry about anything going on back there, man. He's got it. So really great, great people, man. All the heartbreakers, Scott Thurston too. I really enjoy working with Scotty, man. I mean, got to be friends with him and, uh, and went, hung out with him a lot and, He's just got a real realistic kind of view of the whole thing because he played with Iggy Pop back in the day with my buddy Hunt and did a lot of... Imagine all those guys, punk rockers back in the late 70s, driving around. They had Tammy Wynette's bus. <laughs> <laughs> and they didn't change the marquee on the front of the bus. It said, like, Tammy Wynette. So they would show up, like, out where you're at or out down here or something, and people would be, like, <laughs> you know, going, going to see Tammy Wynette and think of George Jones was going to be in there or something. And here out, out comes Iggy Pop and Scotty and my buddy Hunt and whatever, you know, French photographer they had, whatever they had, you know, it was just yeah. kind of a trip, man. So I was, I don't know. It's a whole, the whole, just sort of, you know, I mean, Leon tapped into that whole thing. I mean, you know, there's a, there's definitely a weirdness to all that. That's not, everybody doesn't have that particular weirdness. So. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my God. Anyway, so those guys have it in space, man. It was really cool to work with those dudes and, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to doing it again. So. Well, like working with them or just like hanging out and knowing these guys, is it like, have you ever stopped and like, just really thought about it? Like growing up being a fan of Tom Payton, the heartbreakers, like where you're at now, <laughs> man, it's crazy because, you know, like when you're doing it, you don't really think about that. And I'm calling it down. I don't know, man. I guess I've been doing this for a long time since I was like 14 or something and I've been on the road forever. And, uh, I don't know. I've got, I'm like hard to impress, but I'll tell you what, like, I don't, man, it's the things that some people get impressed. I think by my money or fame or whatever the prestige or the whole, all that stuff, none of that really matters to me, man, but the playing and the music and, and when you look at Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, man, I mean, that's like 40 years of like just the greatest music ever. And I don't care whether you're into like country or blues or rock or whatever, man. I mean, it's all there. And so one day when Mike <clears throat> invited me to go hang out after we were working on the record, I was waiting on them to show up somewhere in, in the valley in L.A. And I had like a minute and I'm sitting there smoking a cigarette and I thought, damn. You know, like, hey, this is pretty cool, you know, like, this is, wow, this is amazing, you know, like, I grew up in Gainesville, you know, uh, it was like, you know, uh, just, you know, I didn't know any of these pe people here, I met them all in LA, and, and uh, you know, had to had to do everything I did to get to that point to, to actually meet and hang out and work with these guys, and yeah, man, I mean, it's never, it's funny, it's like, uh, you can play it cool, but I don't think it ever ever is not cool i mean hanging out with guys like that or guys from the almond brothers or you know whoever man i mean there's a million different you know examples of that but the, i think i mean petty's a guy that 
and all the guys in that band. I mean, they just never did any bad work, man. They always did everything for the right reasons. And and it's just wow, you know, to be to go and jam with those guys, um and uh good I get to sit in and jam with the dirty knobs and stuff, Mike's band. And uh I don't know, yeah, it is definitely cool. It definitely hit me at uh at some point that uh I mean at that point that I was like, you know, doing something that I I think little uh you know, like fourteen year old me would have been like all right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but it's it's funny that it's like the feel of something, you know, it's something feels like a guitar on your girlfriend or whatever, you know, like, you know, like if you meet a girl, you know, like you like her, you don't, you know, or you pick up a guitar, you like the guitar or you don't like the guitar. Yeah. You know, I think other musicians are like that. You meet some people and you're like, yeah, you know, it was nice to meet whoever, you know, fill in the blanks. But and then you meet somebody else and it's like, oh, hanging out with your buddy that you grew up with. Yeah. And when you meet somebody that's one of your heroes, it's like your buddy that you grew up with or something. You're like on the right track, man. Yeah. You know, it doesn't matter where they're from either. I mean, like, you know, Ferroni's like that. He's from England, man. He, you know, he's, um, and he's, you know, kind of got, I don't know. It's just a similar vibe between, between people, I guess, you know, and it, it was nice to be included. It, it's nice to be included in that thing, you know? So. Absolutely. You know, when you listen to, any of your stuff, really, you hear a ton of different, you know, sounds, whether it be country based or blues based or rock. Like, was that something yeah. that just kind of naturally happened or did you kind of always want to be able to move into different areas like that? Well, I think, you know, growing up down south, man, Florida, Bama, you know, Georgia, <clears throat> the whole the whole thing is all, you know, um, you're exposed to a lot of different things. And, you know, for all the hell we catch from people. Uh, down south and you know in Oklahoma I mean you, poor people live right next to each other black white Indians whatever so all that stuff all mixes together and you get this I mean that's where jazz came from that's where bluegrass came from you know it's a mixing of all these different things and uh, I think that you know growing up here I couldn't really separate it man you know like uh, Hank Williams and Robert Johnson sounded a whole lot like each other to me and Tom Petty and you know the almond brothers and stuff all that just sort of that was around all the time here and it was like you know there's not really a big separation between all that stuff to me you know i mean they came together those styles of music came together and made rock and roll and and it's just uh i mean it's it's in it's in there i mean you know somebody like every once in a while somebody comes through like you know hank or elvis or you know whatever somebody like that and comes through and really shines in all directions but it's just like the food man you know like uh <laughs> it's like okra and fried chicken and where did it come from you know yeah. different ingredients from different places and yeah and uh you know so i think that's the deal i think you know if i had grown up in uh man i don't know uh france or something i mean i mean you know you'd have like a you'd have your set of ingredients from there. Like my buddy, Chris Stills in LA, um, whose dad is Steven Stills, who was also from here, oh, wow. uh, went to high school here. And his mom is a famous French singer whose name escapes me right now. Uh, I hope. And, uh, uh, but he's got the thing from here, the thing from LA and the French thing going on. So like, you know, so you got like this whole, just, I think it's just where, you know, it's just in the soil, man, whatever you grow up with. 
if you're paying attention to it, even if you're not paying attention to it, even if you grow up, uh, you know, it's like down here, you, like you say, you can go see a, uh, a hardcore metal band and dude's like, thank y'all for coming out. You know, just like, <laughs> just like it is in Oklahoma. Your cousin's got a metal band that's playing in the garage and they're like, Hey man, you know, so, <laughs> you can't get away from it, you know? So I think it's just a natural thing, man. I mean, it, it's good to me. You listen to I'm a huge fan of jazz and all that stuff, being a guitar player and, and all that came from just, you know, melodies of old Irish and, you know, Scottish and English songs and mixed with the African beats and all that stuff. And then, you know, doing standards and, and expanded from that. And I think it's a real cool thing to be able to do that, um, you know, with, with music in general. As long as you don't get too far out there, man, my dad will listen, will hear jazz and he'll be like, ah, oh, that's like musician's music. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> or he'll, he'll hear heavy metal and he'll say, ah, oh, that's drummer music. <laughs> <laughs> so... It's pretty good, man. To, you know, I, I don't know. People listen to folks that don't play to, you know, for their input because I think musicians get caught up in musician world. Yeah, and uh, they forget, you know, especially in the Americana world, everybody's it's just got to be this way, and this has got to be like, you know, uh, James and Mercury did it. This has got to be like, you know, whoever did it. And, and I think people forget. Hey, sometimes people just want to hear a tune, you know. Yeah. You're on your way home from work or the doctor or whatever you're doing. And, uh, and uh, you know, it doesn't all have to be the most profound thing you've ever heard in your life all the time, you know? So right. I think just catching people with melodies is good, you know? <laughs> I mean, you've been doing this a while and I mean, it seems kind of like this, this area that you're in, you know, with the, the styles kind of mixed has kind of picked up over the last decade with stuff like Tyler Bryant and rival sons Absolutely. and Marcus. Marcus King, is that something you've noticed? Like a little kind of uptick in it? Or? Absolutely, man. And uh, like I'm a little bit older than those guys, so hopefully we helped, uh, you know, kick the door open for that. Because back in like, I moved to Nashville in 2001, and it was pretty much you were in your box. There was the straight country black hat guys, you know, and then there was like the people doing rockabilly and Americana, and then there was the rock scene, and they really didn't mix. And people like, there was... I was playing down on Lower Broadway in Nashville at Bluegrass Inn and Roberts. And then there was like, you know, Joshua Blackwood and the Shack Shakers and Hank Three and all these bands, BR549, that were going on at the time. They were mixing all that stuff up. And I don't think it was getting much attention at the time from record labels and, and you know, mass audiences. But these bands like, you know... Uh, that I just mentioned and myself were able to, you know, willing to go out in the band and just play this, you know, play and play and play. And, and I think it led to um, bands like you were talking about having a, a, a shot at, at being out there and releasing music and, and the way that the, the recording has changed and everything. Now anybody can make a record and you can get it out and I can talk to cool people like you and, or get it out on, you know, satellite or, all these different, you know, you couldn't do that back then. I mean, it was still CDs and you either, you know, were doing what the people at the label wanted you to do, or you weren't on the radio. Yeah. And I wrote at Sony ATV when I was for a while. And, um, you know, I met Chris Stapleton back then. He was doing the, he was, uh, I do the war overalls and a John Deere hat and was playing around and did some writing up there. And, <laughs> and, uh, that, that, you know, he's about my age. I think at that time, 
there wasn't a whole lot of room to move for people that were doing Americana unless you were like Lucinda, Steve Earl, that kind of thing that had already tapped into sort of like the there was that label Lost Highway and they had sort of a a market going on. But now it's like, you know, it's definitely like I do a lot of shows of Blackberry Smoke. Uh there's that whole, you know, Southern rock mix with, you know, country and Americana and the lines are all blurred now. And I think it's really good because, you know, like I said, the lines are blurred with people, you know, like in, in regular life. And so I think that's good, but it's cool to, it's cool to hear that stuff. Um, that's, uh, you know, that's just, it definitely influenced from the old stuff and definitely had it, has got a shot. Like, you know, listening to Marcus Camp. I went to go see Marcus in, uh, LA at the Fonda when I was there. And, um, got to meet him and, and hang out. And I was thinking, you know, it's like Warren Haynes type of groove, but a little bit, you know, different with the singing and this and that. And it's like, you know, man, that couldn't have happened back in 2000. It wouldn't, have, it wouldn't have worked. It wouldn't have hit, you know, 2005, whatever, you know, yeah. it would have had to been, you'd have had to been when I worked up at Sony, the best, if I, I was offered a deal, man, when I was young to be like the next, Kenny Chesney or whatever and I didn't take it man I didn't think that I could have done what I wanted to do if I had taken the artist development deal from Sony and they wanted to you know make you into the next Tim McGraw or whatever nothing wrong with Tim McGraw I'm just saying like it wasn't my thing to um the guy's got some good songs but it wasn't it wasn't the thing that I wanted to do so I don't know I think that that it's it's a good time for that right now because things are sort of wide open. It's a bad time for making money off your music right now. Right. I mean, I mean, back then we made more money selling records than you do now. I mean, you barely make anything because everything is streaming, and you make like one tenth of a penny for a play. Back then, at least you got you know eighty nine or ninety nine cents or you know whatever it was for a download or you know you know, selling CDs and all that stuff. But it's uh, it's easier to get your music out, and it's easier to blow the lines now. But it's harder to make a living now doing it. I think, you know. Do you bring vinyl with you on the road? Because it seems like that's yeah. the one thing that people will buy. You know. <laughs> Absolutely, man. It, it people are way into vinyl now, and it's that's a really good thing. And it, it's it's sort of niche, like you know, it's with the rockers and and people that are into that. I mean, if you go. It, it depends on it depends on what part of the country you're at and what festival you're at and if you're gonna you know unload vinyl or not. Most people, I think, still basically just you know are getting phone getting music for free on their phone or you know streaming it or whatever. But yeah, vinyl's good. And basically, to make it on the road, you have to have a ton of merchandise, man. Like when we go out with Blackberry Smoke, I mean, Britt, um, the drummers are like sort of in charge of all that, and they go out like Walmart, man. I mean, they got so much stuff. <laughs> I've never been too much too good of a salesman, uh, you know. So we have the, you know, we got T-shirts and hats and vinyl and you know CDs that people want. Actually, CDs are actually having a comeback right now, thank God. But it's it's funny, man. Like uh, you know, Blackberry will have like everything, keychains, uh, you know, just whatever, you know, lighters, golf balls, whatever, whatever. <laughs> and so I think bands have had to sort of. Back in the day, you could have, you know, your music and some T-shirts and a hat and and make it. And now you have to have, like, all this. It's just people's attention span now, I think, because of the Internet world and all that stuff. They need to, they need 50,000 things in front of them instead of three. 
you know? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so you can't, but you can't really just make it, man, unless you really catch a serious break. I mean, you have, you know, selling your music, you have to be out there on the road playing. You have to be doing that to, to make it. And it doesn't matter who you are. I mean, you know, it's because, you, you know, everybody's, Unfortunately, it's gone that way, you know, um, to uh, where music is, you just don't make as much money on on songs or albums anymore. So, got to love it. Yeah. You, know, you have to be in it for, to be like somebody, I told my buddy, uh, you know, uh, who works at Hormel, man, you know, Hormel Foods. I said, it'd be like, you make $25 an hour or whatever it is, and, you know, next week they're like, okay, we're going to keep you on, but now you make three cents an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Most people would be like, Oh, I'm not forget it, man. I'm going to quit, you know, but if you're, you know, you're a player, I mean, it's what you do. What are you going to do, man? You know? Yeah. I, I I grew up doing farming and, uh, I love farming, but I don't don't really love the hours. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but man, I don't know. You just, it's, I think it's a good time. Like I said, it's a good time for people to be doing, whatever kind of music they want to do and you can get it out there and you can promote it. You don't have to suck up to a label to have the music you want to have, which is, which is good, but it's also harder to make a living off that music right now. That's basically what I'm saying. I mean, speaking on that, are, are you an album guy where you think you'll always make albums or cause you know, a lot of bands and artists have kind of shifted towards EPs and singles nowadays where it seems like just to get content out there. And since like you said, people's attention spans are way shorter yeah man it's funny you've noticed lately like i got an email from gibson guitars or something the other day and, and it said new content for this week like you, you know content like this could mean anything like content you know it could mean cotton candy it could mean napalm you know yeah uh, so it's kind of kind of funny that like 10 years ago you kind of only heard the word content when you had a label meeting at somebody's office and they were like, we need more content. You need content. But now content is just like a word everybody uses every day. And it's kind of funny, man. So I've released singles before I released an EP when we were out on the road with Lucinda because we were too busy to really, you know, sit down and do a full record. But you know, I mean, I like albums, man. I, I like the, you know, if you listen to like the last one we just did, it's an album. All the songs fit together in a way that, you know, like listening to, I don't know, like Fleetwood Mac rumors or something where everything, it's just, it's an album where the songs sound like they should be all in the, in in the right place together in the order that they're in. I like that, you know, and it's, uh, you know, I mean, if there's something that I do, I, man, I've got so many songs that I have, you know, that I've written that I haven't cut or that I have demos on and stuff that I've done for other people. And, you know, if there's something that, uh, that I have, I'll release a single, but I do like doing albums, man. It's just like a, it's old school, but it's, it, you know, you're telling a story kind of with the whole thing. Um, I'm probably going to release a, a single on a a Tom Petty song this year that we did a few years back. Um, my old drummer that passed away last year, and uh, I'll put I'll probably put that out. But as far as my music, um, Kenneth Bryan band stuff, man, I, I really like doing albums. You know, it's just uh, 
it just does just feels good to to have the whole the whole thing there you know yeah when you when you write is it entirely you or like all the songs you or do you bring in other input from the other guys or how's that work man it's generally me uh there's been like i'll something will hit me whatever line or whatever it is at lyrics i'll put that down and or i'll have a melody you know or sometimes it hits all at once or you know it comes different ways but when we go to when i bring a song to the band and then we when we're rehearsing you know sometimes somebody will have an idea for, man maybe we should do this or that, or we'll try different things but generally it's, uh, generally it's pretty much me with the input of musically of uh, you know the the band or the producer or whoever we're working with and but i'd say you know nine times out of ten man it's pretty much me uh doing all that so which is uh i mean a couple times people have come up with lines uh but you know lyrics or whatever but not generally not very much man because i've done that my whole life i've been a songwriter you know since i was a kid and then i did it i've written songs for other people and i worked it you set up in nashville doing that so it's something that i always do and uh that i don't have to you know try to do so i think the worst thing you can do is try to write a song (laughs) (laughs) you know i I don't know man it's just it's i that uh when i worked up in, in nashville i I couldn't really write the country hit songs, man. I had a couple songs that got on hold and a couple songs that got cut, but nothing that ever really like, you know, blew up or anything for other people, for other artists. But because I really had a hard time, like sitting in a room with two or three people, I didn't really know that well, trying to write a song. Yeah. And so I think, you know, just when it comes to you and you just, you know, just put it down, get it down and, Let's see where it goes from there instead of, you know, just, you know, trying to come up with some idea or whatever. So it's just a different thing. I mean, when you're doing your own thing, it's different than what the, you know, the labels or whatever want, you know. When you come up with a song, is it always like a melody or a guitar part first and then lyrics? Or do you write lyrics just randomly and then fit them to something down the line? Or how's that process Man, go? It's, di- it's different all the time. Like I was working on something last night that was like both melody and lyrics at the same time. Um, but generally I'll have, man, I mean, I've got a you know a couple phones and I don't know how many notebooks full of just like pieces or lines or something. will say something, somebody will say something. I'll write that off and something. And sometimes those turn into whole songs and the songs that have done the best for me, uh, um, like welcome to Alabama last call. Those songs have all, um sort of come out of being on the road or i was certain places at a certain time or i like welcome to alabama i was sleeping at a rest area you know uh down in the very bottom of alabama really and you're almost into florida around cottondale and i woke up and there was a you know that there was the old sign from like the 20s that said alabama welcomes you i didn't really think about it but then later on that night you know, I wrote that whole song and I wrote it real quick, melody and everything. And and when it happens like that, that's really, you know, it's really neat, you know. But you don't, it's funny when that happens, you're like, you think you might have a good one, but then you have to play it for somebody, you know, yeah. <laughs> or throw it to somebody and say, hey, is this any good? You know? And uh, 
but it's it's just different every time, man. It um, like uh, falling again. That song on the last record, uh, the last one we just put out, "Keys of the Kingdom." I had that riff in my head that starts the thing off for like a long time, and I didn't have anything to to go with it. And it's just a real simple riff. It's not anything crazy, man. It's just like a bouncing off like a B minor kind of rock bar chord. But I had that melody in my head for a long time before I had lyrics with it. But I've had that thing in my head like, you know, day after day after day. And I finally was in traffic in L.A. and kind of got a, you know, a lyric to it and just went from there. So I don't know. Don't don't ever, uh, the people that write songs, I mean, you should kind of keep everything. And when you feel like something's hitting you, definitely pull over and, or, you know, wake up or whatever you're doing and get, write it down or hum the melody into your phone or something. Because if you don't do it right away, it goes away, you know? Yeah. And uh, he, it's, man, it's really hard to get that back if you think of a... I thought of something the other night, and I was telling my girlfriend about it, and I thought, man, I better, I better write that, I better speak that into my phone, you know? And I did with the voice recorder. Came back like couple hours later and I, I forgot that I put it in my phone I thought oh damn I can't remember that melody you know what I mean even in a couple hours and I was like ah oh, thank god you know, I had it on my phone so <laughs> I think when it when it hits you need to get on it you know Cause it, it will disappear pretty quick <laughs> do you have a like a pretty good backlog of that stuff now <laughs> oh yeah yeah man I mean I have I have a lot of songs man I always keep writing songs man. I have demos of stuff that people hear and they're like, damn, when are you going to put that out? And that's, you know, definitely, man, I've got a lot of material. So, I mean, I, uh, just, uh, thank God that's always been a, you know, I've always had an outlet with that and, uh, you know, just keep, you know, like somebody, Tom Petty, you remember saying, and just keep writing them, just keep writing them, yeah. you know, keep putting them out. Yeah. There's no, uh, there's no, uh, you know, magical thing that can, you know that can make anything happen is just keep doing it you know keep keep moving and keep putting stuff out keep writing things down keep playing shows and you know it's a great thing to be able to do man yeah can you can you mention what tom petty song that is you're going to release or are you waiting until it's released yeah sure it's uh southern accent okay and it's a song that he did he came back home in like 1986 or I think it was 85 or 86. He came back to Gainesville and he spent like a couple of months here and nobody really knew about it. And he ended up writing this record, Southern Accents and Don't Come Around Here No More was on there and uh, a bunch of really great songs. But that song is the title track off of it. And we used to do that live. And uh, when my, my drummer for years has passed away last year, Dickie Pryor from a, uh, Decatur, Alabama. He's just a great drummer, man. And I found this take that we did at Johnny Sandlin's in Decatur, Alabama, when we were doing Welcome to Alabama. We had the band in there, and we just started working with Johnny, so we weren't like we're trying to get comfortable and play, you know, just play through some stuff. So we were playing stuff that we played live just to get sounds on tape. And I found this version of us just doing it live in the studio, doing Southern Accent. And man, it just sounded so good. And I thought you know, did we go back and work on this? And it wasn't anything that we worked on. It was just the way it was, you know, and it just sounded so good. And so, man, I'd like to release that this year. And, uh, 
we'll run it by the petty people and you know make sure it's cool with them and uh but it's just it's cool because you know the vocal is not even a redone but usually i'll go in and record the song as live as possible guitar solos and everything and then i'll come back and re-sing it that's the only thing i do usually is re-sing the vocal but this is just this vocals even the you know the original vocal that was on there so it's just cool man it's just really raw really sound great sounding track that i was i didn't really know that we had you know yeah johnny passed away a few years ago and i was going through all that stuff and me and uh jeremy the engineer found it and it was like man this <laughs> this sounds all right you know so definitely like to put that out and you know give tom a little shout out here at some point absolutely besides that do you guys have any other specific plans for the rest of 2022 man q show is coming up here and there this year i'm kind of for that. Um, all right we're going back out and doing some days with blackberry smoke in the uh late fall and uh winter and then uh i'm gonna i'm back and forth between here and, and california a lot and so i'm doing a, a festival out there but as far as the album i'm gonna work this album for another you know good little while but i plan on probably recording the next album uh you know in i don't know february march something like that but i'm not sure where i'm going to do it yet man i'm not sure if i'm going to do it down south uh or you know maybe some here in gainesville maybe some in alabama or if i'm going to go back out to california to do it just depends on how the songs go together and you know what the direction i end up going in but that's pretty much the plans man just uh, you know, now that the world has been a crazy couple of years for everybody, and I think you know, last couple of years with everything, you know, COVID and all the political BS and all that kind of stuff, it's just sort of uh, people are getting back to, you know, oh the, yeah, music, <laughs> right? You know, oh yeah, there's other stuff besides like uh, watching stuff on Amazon Prime and trying not to watch your country go to you know wherever it's going. Right. <laughs> And, and, you know, all that stuff that I don't want to get into any of that really, but it's just, yeah, I think it's a time where people are, you know, they're, and, you know, for where you're at or where I'm at right now, I mean, people have been going on with their lives. I think the rest of the country is like, you know, their heads poking out of the door and they're ready to go out and do things again. And, Cause this year, man, you know, attendance at festivals and concerts and stuff, has been way down I and mean, they canceled a lot of stuff. They canceled the Tom Petty festival here in Gainesville that, uh, Midtown Music in Atlanta, that huge festival that they have every year. Yeah. Um, but I think it's starting to get back to where, you know, you can understand it. I mean, you know, things are really expensive right now. So, and these tickets are, we went to go see Paul McCartney in Orlando. I took my girlfriend's aunt that she hadn't seen in a long time. My buddy plays guitar for Paul Cart- uh, McCartney and uh, Rusty Anderson, really great guitar player. And he get us, gave us tickets, you know, and, we had like, you know, basically like front row and, you know, in the stadium and, and I didn't even think about it, you know, and I looked up what those tickets would cost and I thought, good heavens, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, I don't, I, you know, I, it was just unfathomable what they would have cost, you know? And so you can understand like at a time like this, when like, you know, things are five times as much as they were, why people aren't going out to festivals so much right now. So hopefully things normalize a little bit and people get back out to, you know, watching live music and having a good time. And, you know, it'd be nice to see 
things get back to what they were, you know? Yeah. I've noticed that it's like, you've got so many festivals or shows happening, like at the exact same time, they're all on top of each other. And then you've got, like you said, the ticket prices are high. So of course, you know, attendance is going to be down on a lot of these shows. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man, it's crazy. I mean, I don't understand. I mean, I don't, I, you know, I don't understand how regular people, how they expect regular people to afford, you know, three, $400 or something or, or whatever it is. I mean, it's just $1,500 for the, we were out at this thing in, in uh, the desert, desert trip where we got to see, it was Bob Dylan and it was uh, Neil Young and uh, the Stones and, you know, it's just crazy. But it was like $1,700 for the weekend. Okay, I didn't pay that. I went with a friend of mine who was playing and we stayed in a, you know, the RV, you know, behind the, the date palm orchard back there and just sort of hung out. But I'm thinking, man, there's like 100,000 people here or something, you know, like, I don't know anybody that I grew up with really that could blow, that could spend that kind of money on. Right. I'm going to see stuff, man. So I don't know. It's crazy. I think that would be really cool if they could adjust, do sort of what, uh, you know, Pearl Jam did back in the day with Ticketmaster and put a cap on some of these, you know, tickets or something. I mean, where's, damn, I mean, because it's, you're just basically having the kind of elite sort of people be able to go out and, you know, go to these shows. You want everybody to be able to go and hear music, man. Yeah, absolutely. You know? So I said, man, I was talking to my buddy. I said, look what happened. They locked everything down. And for like nine months or almost a year, there was no live music. And look what happened. The world went to hell. (laughs) (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, so it'd be nice to see. It's good. I think it's good for everybody to be able to go out and and listen, not just the richy riches, you know? Yeah. So I don't know, man. Uh, It's good to, I guess they're trying to, you know, a lot of those artists that we've opened up for, over the years that they don't even know what the ticket prices are. People are like, why would this person have, you know, like somebody, Bob Dylan, why would it be $500? If you go, Hey, Bob, you know, tickets are $500. He'd be like, what? Right. They're, they're how much, you know? I mean, he doesn't even, they don't even know. So I don't know, man. It'd be, uh, it seems like a lot. So you can see where, where you know, how that's gotten to, uh, you know, deter a lot of people from going out when gas is, you know, four or seven dollars a gallon or whatever like that you know right so but man i don't know you got to go out you got to see live music get inspired and you know move around and all that so yeah absolutely yeah actually i work uh music festivals for a living and i started like a year after desert trip so i was kind of bummed that (laughs) i didn't able to get to experience that (laughs) what do you do i'm just all kinds of stuff like artist transportation and VIP, oh, nice. VIP programs, uh, side ops, that kind of yeah. stuff. Well, so you know all about it. So like this year when we played, or last year when we played Summerfest in Milwaukee and we opened up for like Thoroughgood and Kentucky Headhunters, usually Milwaukee, I don't know if you've been to Summerfest, but it's like two weeks long and you can't even walk down the street. You know, it's crazy. <laughs> Milwaukee's just like, and last year there was maybe a fifth of the people, you know, at the whole thing. I mean, for it doesn't matter who was a uh, buddy of mine has a big, you know, big rock gig. I'm how'd your show guys, man, it was pretty light, you know? <laughs> so I think it's just, uh, you know, it's just the way it, you know, it was last, the last couple of years. So, um, but yeah, desert trip, man, that was, that's a, 
that's a neat uh the fairgrounds that the Coachella fairgrounds is real neat uh a friend of mine's family owned that it was a polo fairgrounds and oh wow they were gonna they were gonna sell it for years it wasn't making any kind of money at all and they were like man we really need to the tax is killing us out here in california we really need to sell it and then somebody offered hey you guys i think maybe you want to do a music festival out here <laughs> and that was you know coachella and stagecoach and all these different things that they have out there now so i think they're glad they didn't unload it yeah <laughs> right on man well i appreciate you taking the time with me today it was a great talk yeah absolutely man and uh you know, I, I look forward to getting back to um, back on the road and back up to Oklahoma sometime soon, man. I, I like that whole – when I was living in Texas, it was funny, man. Like, a lot of the stuff that was on the radio, uh, I lived outside of Austin and Bastrop for a while, and I was always listening to KUT or just what it would – you know, the rock station around there. And a lot of those guys that you hear on the radio from Texas are actually from Oklahoma. Oh, and right. A lot, of, a lot of them, you know. And so there's that whole – cool kind of scene out there we did we did a festival out there maybe in salazar i can't remember what that was but there's a huge like you know that you know red dirt kind of scene that they have out there yeah it's, it's a big thing man you know and uh but yeah that's uh, i look forward to getting back up there i'd love to play at canes again man that place get back there with those good ghosts i know <laughs> <laughs> you know that's one of the man, you know that's one of the seven places Sex Pistols played in America. <laughs> really? Yeah. Oh my God! I bet that was something. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder. If, I wonder how many people showed up. I don't know. I've, I've read before, but I forgot. I don't know if it was because you know they just did that one tour where it stopped before yeah. it got going. And but there's yeah, there's a lot Man. of photos of it, and I think there's like a small bit of video out there somewhere too. Man, I bet that was a, a royal mess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Because I don't know, man. That's funny. That's like listening about you know with Hunt and Iggy and everybody driving around Tammy Wynette's bus. You know, like I I can't even imagine. Like uh, that's crazy. <clears throat> Those uh, it's a it's kind of when you go back and listen to that, uh, especially like that band, and you hear the live stuff, you're like, wow, man, it's really raw, really sloppy, really all over the place, and it kind of you know in a cool way if you're into that. But I can't uh, imagine. 70s Tulsa folks going to games and watching that. They're probably lucky they got out of there alive, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Lord. Just Hold a side note, me. there was a small punk scene around that time here, like NOTA and stuff was from Tulsa, but... Oh, yeah. But, yeah, yeah I don't know that it was big enough to support, like, a national act, you know, like that, but... <laughs> Absolutely, man. I mean, I think it took... 20 more years for it to catch on there or here or, yeah. you know, I mean, you know, I mean, it's a, it's different location, but sort of similar, like where it's like, ah, a little bit, all that, and, you know, two, three generations later. I mean, well, the grandkids like it, right? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man, um, that's a, yeah, that's a trip. I can't even imagine that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's a, that's a cool place, man. I'd love to get back up there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, next time you're here, I'll I'll try to hit you up. Man, I'll hit you up because next time I'm going, you know, I-40 is a long, long road. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) There's been many times where we were like going from, you know, going across the country and got in the middle of there and didn't have a show somewhere. And we're like, uh, you know, and you pull off on one of those rest areas on or what, you know, not even really a rest area out there on on the different nations or whatever. And it's just like 
be good to know somebody in that place. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, man. Anyway, dude. Well, I appreciate it, man. And, uh, uh, you know, take it easy. And, you know, if you need anything from me, just let me know. And thank everybody for listening and just, uh, you know, for being into Roots music, man. It's been a, it's a wonderful thing to be able to do. So thank you for having me on here. There you go. Kenneth Bryan. Man, a huge thank you to Jody Best of Best Bet Promotions for her ongoing support of this podcast. She is absolutely amazing, as is Kenneth Bryan. So huge thank you to Kenneth Bryan for his uh, taking some time out there with me to talk for, like I said, it was uh, about an hour there worth of stuff. So that was a very fun one. Kenneth Bryan, you know, he's got a few albums. You need to check them all out. Most recent one, Kings to the, Keys to the Kingdom. Came out earlier this year. This man's toured with Blackberry Smoke. He's been on stage performing with them. He's been on stage performing with Kenny Wayne Shepherd and several several other legends. So that is something that just delve into it and YouTube the guy. Besides just his music, you'll find other artists that he's collaborated with. So yeah, I can't stress that enough. You need to check out Kenneth Bryan. Alright, if this is your first time listening, a huge thank you. 358 previous episodes that you can check out. Like I said just a minute ago, recently, Russell Allen of Symphony X and Adrenaline Mob and Trans-Siberian Orchestra was on here. Absolutely loved that. Loved that guy's voice. It's phenomenal. Earlier this year, like I said, Damon Johnson of Brother Kane, Alice Cooper, Black Star Riders, Thin Lizzy, and now Leonard Skinner has been on this podcast six times. Ty Tabor of King's X was on here earlier this year. Recently had on, let me look here real quick, John Waite. I mean, that shows you right there. We're spanning all the all the genres on here for the past seven and a half years. Michael Monroe, one of the most underrated talents in the history of rock and roll. Of course, the lead vocalist of Hanoi Rocks, they reunited with the original lineup for the first time in 40 years just a couple weeks ago at his 60th birthday bash. But Michael Monroe was on here talking about his fantastic new album, which I can promise you is going to be on my year-end list. James Durbin, of course, of American Idol fame. He was in Quiet Riot for a bit, was on here recently. Frank Hennon of Tesla has been on here four times now. Brian Wheat of Tesla has also been on here. Nathan James of Inglorious and Iconic has been on here multiple times. No, I say that multiple times. Why did I say that? One time, <laughs> I was thinking ahead. Multiple times. Kirk Winstein of Crowbar and Down has been on here multiple times. Mark Kendall of Great White has been on here multiple times. Jim Wilson of Motor Sister has been on here multiple times. I've also had on Trevor Sternad, who we recently lost he passed away a couple months, a few months ago. He was on here a year, year and a half ago. Lejean Witherspoon and John Connolly from Seven Dust have both been on here. I've had on, man, John Cooper of Skillet earlier in the year. Jeff Tate, the original voice of Queensrack, has been on here. Dee Snyder of Twisted Sister. Gene Simmons of Kiss. Dizzy Reed of Guns N' Roses. The almighty Glenn Hughes of Dead Daisies and Deep Purple have been on here. Paige Hamilton of Helmet, Danko Jones. I mean, the list is long. Check it out. 
thethunderunderground.com. You can listen there. You can find all the socials, like, subscribe, follow, tweet, post, whatever you can do. If you see a post from Thunder Underground on any social media platform, if you like it or comment or share it, that is a massive help. It helps spread the word around. I cannot stress that enough. So follow us on the socials and wherever you're listening to this right now, follow and subscribe so you don't miss future episodes. Speaking of future episodes, RJ Hell of Hellstorm will be on here very shortly. Jeff Buner of the Laurel Order will be on here very shortly. And I've got about three or four other confirmed interviews scheduled to be recorded. And there's always a few more just waiting in the wings. So as soon as those happen, I'll announce them as well. But be on the lookout. I'm sure RJ Hill will be next week keeping it going. Once again, a huge thank you to MedFarm, DEB Concerts, Sunset Tattoo, Best Bet Promotions, and Kenneth Bryan. And until next time. Thunder Underground, y'all. <laughs>